third journey of a narrative of the operations and recent discoveries in egypt and nubia by giovanni belzoni this librivox recording is in the public domain in the narrative of this my third journey to thebes i shall not detain the reader with an account of my stopping here or setting off there as it would be no more than a repetition of what has been said before but shall remark only the principal things worthy of notice i made an extraordinary quick voyage from cairo to malawi which place we reached in two days and a half though it occupied eighteen days in our second voyage i stopped two days at mr brine's the sugar-baker as it was a calm and in two days more arrived at siout the next morning i went to see the bay that worthy fellow and dear friend to the english he was about a mile out of town exercising his soldiers and young mamelukes in gunnery and horsemanship the cannon exercise was with balls against the rocks and i must say there were better marksmen than i expected to find among soldiers without discipline he fired himself at the same mark with two balls in one barrel of an english gun of which someone in cairo had made him a present he liked it extremely and observed these guns may become offensive to their makers some day or other i told him if ever such a period should arrive the english would still be superior in their weapons as by that time they would have invented some guns of another construction much superior to the most effective of the present day as they are continually studying something new i saw he was not pleased with my answer but i said it and would have said it again after the cannon exercise they began to fire at an earthen pot placed on a kind of pedestal of about six feet high they commence their course at two hundred feet from it ride towards it at full gallop at the distance of fifty feet drop the bridle take their gun and fire at the pot while at full speed the horse is so accustomed to this that before he reaches the stand on which the pot is he wheels to the right to make room for the next in the course it is a very difficult matter to hit a small pot about a foot high while the horse is running with all speed in about two hundred shots i saw only six pots broken the favorite mameluke of the bay a lad of twelve years old broke three he had the best horse belonging to the bay and went as near the pot as the length of a gun and a half two other mamelukes broke one each at a good distance and one was broken by the bay himself for which he received of course great praise from all his subjects the gold and silver on the riders gave them quite a theatrical appearance when the exercise was ended the bay seated himself under a tree and was very curious to know the particulars of my opening the pyramid as he had heard of it and desired to see a plan as i was to visit him in the afternoon i promised he should then see one at four o'clock i went to his palace he was sitting on a very high armed chair a fashion not common among turks though he did not sit like an european but in the turkish manner with his legs up here i had an opportunity of being present at a trial upon life or death the case was this a soldier belonging to the bay had been found dead upon the road near the village of amon with his throat cut and several marks of violence upon his body he was on his return from mecca where he had been on a pilgrimage 
his camel was found dead near the door of a peasant and it was supposed that he had a great deal of money about him he was seen in the house of the peasant near which the camel was found in company with seven other men among whom was a bedouin the soldiers of the village who took the prisoners into custody asserted that the prisoners had assisted the bedouin in making his escape and the sheikh of the same village affirmed that one of them said he knew where to find him at any time several witnesses were examined but no one gave any evidence that could bring the facts home to the supposed culprits one point however was very much against one of them and this was his countenance did not please the bey for no sooner did the bey set his eyes on the poor fellow than he exclaimed ho ho the case is evident i see plainly who is the murderer look at that man can there be any doubt but it was he who committed the crime so own at once that you did it for denial will be useless i see it in your face i must confess i never saw more appearance of the assassin in a countenance in my life but god forbid that our courts of justice should adopt such a method of proceeding and condemn people merely because the expression of their features is against them several witnesses came forward to prove that the peasant in whose house the soldier was could have had nothing to do with it as he was not in the town at the time i have reason to believe that witnesses in that country are rather more exact in their depositions than those of europe for they do not get off so easily as in our country to make them impartial they generally get so severe a bastinado on the soles of their feet that all the flesh is off to the bones and they are unable to walk for a long time after a thousand blows is reckoned a moderate number for a witness to receive the business ended this day with beating and sending to prison again i heard afterwards however that several of those supposed to be concerned in the murder had their heads cut off but for this i have no further authority than my own interpreter after the trial the bey sent to me as if he were desirous of some conversation i took the interpreter with me as the bey will speak no language but the turkish and seated myself on the bench near his chair he began to talk again about the pyramids and wondered we could not tell when they were built he wished to be made acquainted with things but in such a manner that his ignorance might not be perceived asking questions as if he were already informed of what he was most anxious to learn i showed him the plan of the second pyramid he understood it immediately as he said taking a general view of it without inquiring into a single circumstance as i knew he passed for an architect among the turks i took a pair of compasses and showed him the scale of english feet by which the plan was made the word scale was mistaken for the italian scala and he asked me where a person mounted with that scale and the interpreter who was as curious as himself asked nearly the same question i could not help smiling and turned the discourse to the forced passage on which he rightly observed that they who made it must have been in search of gold or else they would not have given themselves so much trouble with some similar remarks i quitted him that evening as it was rather late being half an hour after sunset and went to him to take my leave the next morning 
i had a firman for him to renew and to my surprise he did it without hesitation he seemed to be pleased when he was told that i was going to make a collection for myself for which reason as he said he had given me the firman with full power to dig wherever i pleased right and left of the nile i answered that i felt much obliged to him but that i hoped he would consider what i did for myself would be still for the english party he made no reply to this but i could easily see that he felt a kind of displeasure at my returning to search as connected with the english i wish mr salt had been there incognito as he would have seen the difference of this man when behind his back from what he had been before his face he introduced the little story of the pipe made by Kalind and sold as an antique to Mr. Salt, laughed much, and wondered how a person so full of knowledge could suffer himself to be so easily deceived by a Frenchman. I told him that any one might well be deceived, as we bought many things from the peasants, good and bad, together in lots, without even looking to see what they were, till they were brought home consequently this pipe might have been bought in that manner he asked me many curious questions and among them whether i should shave my beard when i returned to europe supposing my answer would be that i should not do any such thing for my beard appeared the finest of all that were before him at that moment even superior to his own i told him to his astonishment that no sooner should i reach the shore of my dear europe than i should rid myself of it as a great burden he saw he had got himself into a scrape by exposing the sanctity of the beard to be despised before so many of his bearded countrymen by asking such questions of a christian and thinking to mend the matter as some of the french told him that in france many wear their beards he said he knew that in france many people wore them but did not know whether it was so in england i replied that neither in france england nor in any part of europe except by a few of the russians were beards ever worn this sort of disrespect for beards did not appear to meet the approbation of the assembly and he was glad to turn the discourse upon horses and so forth having received my firman i left siout the same day and on the next arrived at teta this i recollected was the residence of my old acquaintance solomon kachif of Ermentz, who played me so many tricks but as in the latter part of his command in that province he became our friend at least in appearance i thought proper to pay him a friendly visit as according to the way of thinking of the turks an injury is not easily forgotten and sometimes revenge is taken when the offender is in disgrace or in misfortune i do not know whether this man were pleased at seeing me in his hut as perhaps he might be mortified at the supposition that i must recollect his prejudice and the trouble he had given me certain however it is that he received me with all the marks of cordiality that can be expected from a turk he gave me to understand that as the deficiency found in his account with the bashaw was nearly made good out of his monthly pay his employ would be soon ended when he should be a free man and could go where he pleased and if the bashaw did not come to good terms with him he would go to a place above ibrim knowing he meant to dongola to the mamelukes i told him that his highness the bashaw was a worthy man and if some friends of his in cairo were to speak to him all would end well 
he said he expected that the french consul would have done something for him from his friendly professions but he was disappointed and added many other things but all of trivial importance at a moment when we remained alone however even without the interpreter he told me in the arabic language that he should be under great obligations to our consul if he would speak to the bashaw in his favour and that he might be assured he would gladly come to an understanding with him as he had made great improvements in the lands from which the bashaw derived considerable advantages but above all as his debt was paid with the kansha our treasury i promised i would do all i could for him and some time after i wrote all the particulars to mr salt acquainting him that if he could succeed in getting this man restored to his situation at ermont's he might depend on having a good friend in the commander of thebes i could scarcely get away from him he sent his horses and soldiers to accompany me to the waterside and on board our congere i found the customary provisions of bread a sheep and so forth proceeding on my voyage the next day at about a league before we reached Ackman, on the fifth of may eighteen eighteen at eight o'clock in the morning i saw the finest eclipse i ever beheld the moon at its full passed completely before the sun the eclipse lasted about three-quarters of an hour i saw the full moon in the centre of the sun which formed a disc or ring the moon appeared to me in the proportion of about half the size of the sun on the tenth of may i arrived at thebes and immediately proceeded to take the drawings of the tombs and impressions as i stated before in the arrangement i had made with mr salt previously to my reascending the nile this time it was agreed that i should make researches on my own account but on my arrival at thebes i found that all the grounds on each side of the nile were taken partly by mr drouetti's agents and partly by mr salt himself who marked the grounds before his return to cairo this last time seeing that there was no chance of making any researches on my own account without incurring the risk of some difference either with the french party or the english i retired to my tomb and devoted my whole time to taking models of it it is somewhat singular and by no means pleasing to my recollection that at this time i was at thebes on my own account and at my own expense yet with less chance of finding anything than a perfect stranger who had never been in that country a stranger might come fix on a spot of ground and take his chance whether good or ill my case was different for if i pointed out any spot in any place whatever one of the parties i mean the agents of mr drouetti or those of mr salt would consider it as valuable ground and protest that it was taken by them long before i verily believe if i had pointed out one of the sand-banks or the solid rocks they would have said they just intended to have broken into it the next day being however in the midst of thebes a place which was become to me quite familiar and accustomed as i had been to continual researches i could scarcely keep myself from doing something i had already tried on an exhausted ground known to have been originally opened by me so that no one could say it was taken by them but i soon perceived that it was a hopeless attempt to proceed on spots which i considered as exhausted 
between the memnonian and medinet abu it is well known there are several fragments of enormous statues particularly behind the two colossi i had long before marked the ground and mr duetti first opened near these fragments but finding nothing except broken pieces of lion-headed statues he quitted it some time after mr salt began to excavate in this ground while i was in cairo and found it to be the site of an extensive temple there are pedestals of many columns of very large diameter and in great numbers i counted about thirty but it appears they are not half uncovered and among them mr salt found several colossal fragments of breccia and calcareous stone but all so mutilated that none were worth taking away he proceeded in his work for a long time but left the spot at last i believe as unworthy of farther labour on mentioning my wish to proceed in my researches in the same place to mr beechey he informed me that it was reserved for the consul as it had been dug before on his account and under his own inspection but such was my hope of discovering something of importance that i determined to proceed whether for my advantage or that of the consul i accordingly commenced my operations and having observed that the part where the sicos and cella must be was not touched i set the men to work there it was perhaps fortune that would have it so but the fact is that on the very second day of my researches we came to a large statue which proved to be the finest of the kind i had yet found it is a sitting figure of a man in all points resembling the great colossus of memnon on the side of its chair are the same hieroglyphics which are to be seen on the chair of the memnon it is nearly ten feet high and of the most beautiful egyptian workmanship the stone is grey granite and has the peculiarity of having particles in it of a colour not unlike that of the substance generally known by the name of dutch metal this and a lion-headed statue are the only ones of the kind i ever saw part of its chin and beard have been knocked off but all the rest is quite perfect in the same ground i found several lion-headed statues like those i found in karnak some sitting and some standing i know not what to say about this temple as i do not pretend to give an absolute decision on any subject but as every one may have an opinion of his own i shall venture to make a few remarks or rather put some questions why may not this be deemed the great temple of memnon with as much or perhaps more reason than what is now named the memnonium it is to be observed that the name was given to those ruins on the supposition that the great colossal statue now lying on the ground within the space included was that of memnon but now when every one agrees that the statue of memnon cannot be any other than that which is to the north of the two in the plain between medinet abu and the memnonium i think that the temple which stood in a direct line with these colossi might with more probability be named the memnonium that the northernmost statue of the two in the plain of gornu was that from which the sound proceeded i believe is beyond doubt from the combination of numerous circumstances but in particular from the testimony of the many visitors who have verified it by their inscriptions on its leg if the said statue were intended to represent the great memnon i think the temple with which it was connected was the memnonium 
the magnificence of this edifice has never been described because it never was seen or known to exist between the two colossal statues and the portico of the temple is an enormous colossus thrown down and buried all but the back of its chair which is broken in two about the middle i cannot conceive how this colossus escaped the notice of travellers it was one of my principal objects to uncover it but i never had an opportunity i have no doubt some interesting points may be solved and perhaps pieces of antiquity may be found in it and i hope this opinion of mine will induce some of the travellers or other antiquaries in egypt to excavate the interesting spot round the colossus among the columns of the portico were found a great many fragments of colossal statues of granite brescia and calcareous stones and from the great number of fragments of smaller dimensions and of standing and sitting lion-headed statues i can boldly state that these ruins appear to me to have belonged to the most magnificent temple of any on the west side of thebes it is my humble opinion that the entrance into this temple was guarded by the two colossi one of which is supposed to have represented the great memnon and that on advancing farther there were other colossal statues in inner courts the fragments of which are still to be seen as i have just mentioned in a line with the temple and the two colossi in the front of the portico are other colossi of smaller size which appear as if adorning the entrance into it the whole combined induces me to think that an extensive temple stood on this ground to explore it would require an excavation of no small extent but i believe it well worth attention and i am persuaded it would not prove a disadvantageous speculation to the adventurer the base of the above columns stood much higher than the bases of the two colossi consequently there must be an ascent from the colossi to the temple if we take as an example the temple called the memnonium we shall find the same to be the case and that the ascent into the temple was by steps on my removing the colossal statue from the ruins last mentioned i found that the pavement of the place where it lay was much lower than the interior of the temple whence we may conclude that the former temple was erected on the same principle and if it were so the front of this temple is not uncovered and i do not hesitate to say that some interesting pieces of antiquity might be found there besides perhaps giving farther elucidation of the real seat of memnon it is also to be observed that the regular inundation of the nile over that very ground has raised the soil to such a height that it discourages a traveller from making researches but without perseverance nothing can be effected my occupation at the tomb did not permit me to advance farther in these researches and i quitted them with the intention of recommencing when i should have had an interview with mr salt for as he had marked all this ground to be kept for his own excavation i did not wish to encroach on his theban territory the works at the tomb went on uncommonly well by this time i had taken many impressions of the principal figures in basso relievo to my entire satisfaction the wax alone i found would not stand as the climate did not permit it but with wax resin and fine dust i made an excellent composition the greatest difficulty was to take the impression of the figure without injuring the colours of it 
the figures as large as life i found to be in all a hundred and eighty-two those of a smaller size from one to three feet i did not count but they cannot be less than eight hundred the hieroglyphics in this tomb are nearly five hundred of which i took a faithful copy with their colours but they are of four different sizes from one to six inches so that i have been obliged to take one of each size which makes nearly two thousand in all some wax i procured in the small towns of the country but in such small quantities that i was obliged to send down the nile to kenna farshiuk and girgay at the latter end of june we had a visit from mr briggs on his return from india he brought with him from that country the pineapple and the mango some of which he had planted in the garden of the aga at kina and some he tried to cultivate at thebes the mango at kina i believe turned out very well but those which were planted in thebes died i imagine from want of care as we had no gardener by this time i had ceased all sort of researches as i could not dig on the grounds i wished i contented myself with collecting what the peasants of gournou used to bring to me and i must say that in consequence of having so many acquaintances among these mummy plunderers i have been able to make a little collection of my own in which i can boast of having a few good articles particularly in manuscript and so forth during this time i attempted to make an excavation among the ruins of the temple at ermont's but i was soon convinced it would be to no purpose and withdrew this temple is very interesting for it differs from almost every other in its plan and construction the drawing plate thirty seven is as correct a representation as i could take of it on the back of this temple is the figure of the camelopard which is of such very rare occurrence among the hieroglyphics that this and that which i mentioned in the sequels of the memnonium are the only instances i can point out in egypt motive of my journey to the red sea some time prior to this the bashaw of egypt was informed by two copts who landed on the coast of the red sea from arabia that they had seen some sulphur mines in the mountains near that shore several days a journey above corsir on the report of these two men the bashaw sent an order to the cacheff of esne to enter the desert in search of these mines he set off with an escort of soldiers and sixty camels to load with sulphur but on their arrival they found only several pieces scattered about here and there and having collected them all they were not sufficient to load twenty camels among the soldiers of that escort was one of the mameluke renegados who stated that he saw several mines and temples on the road to the coast of the red sea this little success did not discourage mohammed ali who was always ready to persevere in any enterprise he was advised to send some europeans to examine these places and see whether it were worth while to proceed in the discovery of sulphur mr druetti recommended to the bashaw mr caliud a silversmith who had been employed by him some time in the collection of antiquities mr caliud set off for that place accompanied by an escort of soldiers and miners from syria and found the mines as sterile as they had been described but on his return he did not fail to visit the emerald mountains according to the instructions he received from mr duetti who evidently had seen the work of bruce 
where he mentions having visited these mines on his arrival at the place mr caliud found several caves or mines which had been evidently left by the ancients and probably had never been touched by any one since from the exterior of some of them he collected several pieces of the matrix of the emeralds and when these were produced to the bashaw they were deemed sufficient to prove that there were mines in the country and to persuade muhammad ali to pursue his researches mr caliud in his pursuit of mines in this country happened to reach sekil minor situated in a valley a few hundred miles from the mountains of zabara and about twenty-five from the sea see plate thirty five it is a valley surrounded by high rocks on each side of the rocks at some little distance are the remains of a few very small houses built of rough stones and all except one or two without mortar the rocks of this place resemble an amphitheatre in form not more than two hundred and fifty yards in length the upper part of the rocks contain several mines of the ancients and at one side there is a small chapel cut out of the rock thirty feet deep and less than twenty wide see plate thirty three number six and seven the houses in all as we counted them on our visiting that place are eighty-seven one of which can be considered as the residence of a person distinguished from the rest i do not know how it happened but it appears that the enthusiasm with which m caliud gave the account of this place seemed to impress on the minds of the antiquaries in egypt the notion that it must have been the ancient berenice especially when he reported it to have eight hundred houses and several temples and seemed to him in appearance like the ruins of pompeii and so forth he asserted also that it was near the coast and that the communication with the sea was quite easy at the same time he produced a greek inscription which he also found on the top of a niche we copied it with the greatest care and it will be inserted hereafter this was quite enough the ancient berenice had at last been visited and it was known where it was indeed in a few points it did not quite agree with the situation described by the ancients but these obstacles were soon removed for i saw a modern geographer a man of classical education and a great traveller take the pen in his hand and in order to make the newly discovered berenice fall on the spot where it ought to be and accord with the description of the ancient geographer scratch out a large cape that encumbered him being on the south of the supposed berenice and with the same coolness as if it had been a piece at draught or chess place it on the north affirming that the bay was erroneously laid down by the ancient geographers who made the chart of the red sea in the description of the mines mr caliud was pretty correct but it would have been more to his credit if he had contented himself with an exact account of the new berenice as it was named in consequence of all these reports muhammad ali engaged a muhammadan aga a syrian miner and with two hundred men set off accompanied by mr caliud to show him where he found the ancient mines some time after mr caliud finding that the mines would not be so productive as it was expected quitted the place and returned to egypt leaving the syrian miner to look out for the emeralds from the time of these reports i conceived the idea of making an excursion into these deserts on a visit to the new berenice and only waited the opportunity of a proper time to execute my intended journey 
it happened that near the end of september one of the miners who was sent from the mountains to the nile for provision had to come down from edfu to esne and was returning to the desert when he fell sick hearing from some of the arabs that a christian physician was at biban el maluk he came to beg the doctors would prescribe something to cure him of course i had good and clear information of all i wished from this man who promised to show me the way through the desert if i wished to go i made up my mind at once and set about preparing for my departure having communicated my intentions to mr beechey he resolved to go also and as the doctor would have been useful in drawing i proposed that he should accompany us at this time we had a large boat loaded with antiquities of various kinds among which i embarked the fine colossal statue i had discovered in the ruins of the temple which i should name the memnonium the boat being ready a servant of mr duetti requested mr beechey to be permitted to take his passage on board to cairo which was of course granted the boat set off by the information i received from the miner it appeared to me clear that the place could not agree with the description given of its situation by herodotus and pliny and that the direction of the road monsieur caliud had taken could not bring him so far south as the town of berenice was marked by the geographer d'anville who i had reason to believe was correct having found him so on other occasions at last two days after the boat set off for cairo we hired a smaller one from luxor to take us up to edfu where we were to enter the desert we embarked near the temple of gournou as the water reached quite to that place End of part eighteen.